all won't be stuck in my way of spending my days doing every little thing the way I always done it, done it before. Oh, and hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 67 of the weekly Yes I Am podcast. I am Travis Thomas, the host of the weekly Yap and the creator of Live Yes And. Today's guest is an amazing guy, Gary Ridge, the CEO and president of WD40. When you think of WD40, is there anyone out there that doesn't have a can of WD40 in their house? But at the same time, when you think of inspiring cultures, when you think of dynamic workplaces, is WD-40 a company that comes to mind? Odds are probably not. Now, I've known Gary for a few years now. Gary and WD-40 uh, have been connected to World Blue for a number of years, and many of you know that World Blue is an organization uh, started by Tracy Fenton, a good friend of mine, which is all about helping companies and organizations move from a fear-based mindset to a freedom-based mindset. And uh, I've done some work with World Blue over the years. I'm, I'm doing some coaching with them currently as a World Blue coach. And so I have met Gary over the last few years at the World Blue summits. And, uh, and Gary is just, uh, every time I hear him speak, there's something new. There's, there's new inspiration. He's from Australia came to the United States, and he's been with WD-40 uh, uh, for many, many years. He has co-authored a book uh, with Ken Blanchard. He's taught at the University of San Diego on leadership, and he is just an all-around amazing guy. And And what I love about Gary and the connection to, to Yes And is WD-40 is a is a, they practice a yes and culture and and all those principles that World Blue talks about and teaches, uh, WD forty lives and they they really uh, embrace what that is all about and so uh, getting the opportunity to talk to Gary in this podcast is enlightening. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. I always do, and and again the connection with with what Live Yes And is all about is is helping organizations and individuals and teams discover their inner brilliance through a commitment to purpose, authenticity, and life-transforming collaboration. So in this conversation, you will hear purpose from Gary. Uh, he is authentic, and uh, WD-40 is uh, a workplace culture that is all about life-transforming collaboration. And as you'll hear from Gary, WD-40 is all about creating memories. So hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast. And also, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast, either from episode one or whether episode 67 is your first episode, I have never actually mentioned or asked anyone to go to iTunes and uh, and leave a review or um, or give a rating to the weekly yap and obviously all that feedback is helpful so if you get a chance to do that that'd be greatly appreciated uh, if you've been to my website liveyesand.com you'll notice that you can subscribe to my newsletter that I send out uh, weekly or biweekly which will give you all the updated information on all the new things going on with live yes and uh, you can also follow me on social media at live yes and as well and so wanted to give you those extra opportunities. I also have a blog, uh, and I try to share as much helpful content as possible. So without further ado, let's jump in to the WD-40 man himself, Mr. Gary Ridge on the Weekly Yap. I won't be stuck in my way, spending my days doing every little thing the way I always done it, done it before. Oh, 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 oh. Cause when that voice appears, I get the ears to hear, I get the so, Gary, when a lot of people think of WD-40, they think of an oil lubricant we spray on doors and hinges to stop the squeaking. When you think of WD-40, what does it mean to you? 
oh, uh, we're in the memories business. You know, we're about creating positive, lasting memories by solving problems and and solutions for people all around the world. You know, one thing that stays with us probably as long as it can in life is memories, and and that's what we're dedicated to. And in fact. You know, that's the whole structure of our business. We're, we're in the memories business. And I love that, Gary. Uh, obviously, the first time I heard you share that, it was, I mean, it's just, it was so huge to think about that as a, as a sense of purpose, as a sense of vision for a company. How did that come about? Well, um, you know, if you think about the product itself, uh, it really, when you mentioned WD-40, people say, oh, uh, I remember when. Um, but how it really came about was you know we get up every day and we we really think about the why that we exist you know, i love a lot of the work that simon Sinek yeah. does um start with why and in fact just last week he he flew into san diego and gave me the surprise of my life um he gave me the 2016 igniter of the year award he was in here for half an hour. He was on a book tour, and he just came by at a meeting, and it was wow. And I love the work that he, he does. And, you know, people need to get up every day to have a purpose. So, you know, if, if, if people got up at WD-40 and said, I sell oil, bleh, <laughs> like, okay. But um, we do that, and it, it really filters right down through our organization because it, it flows into our how we do that and we do it by creating a learning environment we we talk about our tribe a lot a lot about belonging so you know that's it's how we build the foundation of our culture here at wd-40 we care about people we're candid with people we hold them accountable we expect them to be responsible and that's how we built an employee engagement number that's like 93 percent which is just amazing well, congratulations uh, on that award. Well-deserved. And uh, yes, Simon has been obviously fantastic at, at really kind of putting an idea and a framework around sort of why and, and purpose and mission. And so back up a little bit, Gary, to sort of your introduction to WD-40 and, and what was that process like for you to... Um, to, to sort of instill that sense of culture? Was that something that you inherited uh, or was, it, uh, was there a vision or an intention that you had? Well, it came from a very simple fact and that is that I'm consciously incompetent. And um, <laughs> I, you know, I joined WD-40 in 1987 in Australia. I was given the opportunity to move to the US in 1994 to head up our international expansion. And in 97, I was you know, given the, and this amazing opportunity to lead the company. And I worked out at that point that, you know, micromanagement wasn't scalable um, and that really I had to get very comfortable with saying, I don't know. Um, and from that really bloomed this culture of, of you know, how do we, we become a learning culture? We say at WD-40 company, we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments. Mm. Um, and the reason we do that aligns very much with a lot of the work that Will Blue and, and Tracy Fenton does, which a learning moment is there to take fear out. And as we know, fear is probably the most, you know, paralyzing emotion we can have, Travis. So, you know, we, we, we kind of wanted to take that out. And then we also looked at, um, you know, one of the, the other huge needs we have as human beings, which is to belong. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy to self-actualization, you know, the first two steps in that are, you know, 
can I eat and am I safe? And the third one is is belonging, or, or let's even call it loving. And most organizations forget that for them to retain and have people who are passionate about doing their work, they have to create a, a, a culture where people actually feel like they belong. And that's why we call ourselves a tribe. Um, you know, we studied the attributes of the Australian Aborigines and the Fijian Islanders, and we looked at what were the, the attributes that kept these people together in harsh climates and, 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 you know, uncomfortable times. And the number one was learning and teaching. Um, you know, they had to be consistent learners and, and forever teachers. And those all kind of rolled into what has become the culture at WD-40. Now, Gary, I think your answer alone, I think we could probably spend uh, uh, hours on each component that you just broke down. There's so much richness, uh, so much that you just shared there. Uh, and, and again, I, I want to go back to one of the first things you said in that, in that answer was, uh, A, the humility of calling yourself incompetent and, and not wanting to create a culture of, of micromanagement. And the vulnerability, you know, the vulnerability, obviously, Brene Brown in recent years has really brought the idea of vulnerability to the forefront. But if we're going back to 97, this idea of a vulnerable leader was not a common thing. So so where does that come from with you? I had, I had no option. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think a lot of it comes from, um, you know, I was very fortunate as, as I was growing up in Australia. I, you know, I came from a, a, a humble family and my mom and dad, you know, um, dad was always said that you know it's a fair day's work for a fair day's pay and and uh you know he worked for one company for 50 years so i i guess i learned a little work ethic from him and then my mom was someone who always said that you know she was the ultimate contrarian you know she and you need one of those in your life the one who gives you that advice that you never want to hear but it's with unconditional love um and and you know she was someone who said you know you can be anything you want in life as long as you as long as you know who you're not and um and and i think that that was important and then i i got to work with other people as i was growing up and you learn to understand that it's okay not to know i i, I think one of my huge learning moments was um, when i actually moved to the united states in 1994 and you know, you would think that moving from Australia to the United States, there'd be a lot of things that would be fairly similar. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but there's a lot of things that aren't similar. And you you kind of get put in this state of saying, I don't know. So I can choose to continue not to know, or I can get comfortable with three words, I don't know, <laughs> right. and I can learn more. And I remember vividly a meeting I was in in San Diego here at our... Uh, offices and and I, I I hadn't been here long at all and I was sitting in this meeting and there was probably a dozen people in the meeting and there was a person from a company outside giving us some information and update on on a particular subject and I'm about ten minutes into this presentation and I'm thinking to myself I know I'm a dumb Australian but I have no clue what this person's talking about. <laughs> so I can choose to continue not to know, or maybe I'll just ask. So I put up my hand. I said, look, I'm sorry, not long in this country, but I don't really know what you're talking about. Well, Travis, everybody in the room kind of went, ah. 
<laughs> you gave everyone they permission. Didn't know either. Right. They didn't know either. Right. So we gave ourselves permission to be vulnerable. And that was a huge learning moment for me. And I just, I love not knowing. I, I uh, You know, my favorite TV character is Columbo because mm-hmm. he asks so many questions. And I'm just, just curious. You know, I just love to go, well, why is that so? Um, I remember growing up in Australia, there was a TV show and there was a, a scientist on it that his name was Julius Sumner Miller. And, you know, this was something that was on in an afternoon after you'd come home from school. And and he'd do things like, you know, have a boiled egg suck into a bottle, right? And at the end of it, he'd say, why is it so? Well, in other words, yeah. why does that happen? Yeah. And that just today, even today, you know, the, fa- the question I ask myself a lot today is why do I believe that? Yeah. Because the world is moving so quickly. And, you know, we have embedded beliefs that if we don't question them, mm-hmm. Now, we'll get caught up in a, in a web of, of not understanding that'll only hurt us. So that's kind of the essence of it. Yeah, I mean, we have this romanticized idea of, of and it's, and I say romanticized, it's, it's wrongly romanticized idea that, that the leader sort of knows everything and is going to swoop in and have, uh, you know, have greater uh, knowledge and expertise than everyone and always know what to do. I mean, all we have to do is look at our political climate right now to see that no matter what side you fall on, there's there, neither side is is saying, I don't know, let's let's work on it together, <laughs> you know? So um, for you, as, as you as you moved up sort of through the ranks and then you find yourself sort of in the top spot, uh, was that a uh, was that a culture shift for the organization and those around you, or was that something that um, uh, was sort of already in place? No, it was a culture shift. Um, you know, the, the culture when I got had the opportunity to lead the company was was adequate for the, the company at that time. You know, it was basically a U.S. company that had a, the majority of its revenues here, and 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 that was fine. And the currency of power was knowledge, and the more you kept, the more power you had. And and that's not being critical; it just is or was. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we were going to expand around the world it was clear to me that we had to take what I called silos of knowledge and turn them into fields of learning. And that was the only way we were going to grow. As I said, micromanagement wasn't scalable. And if we were going to take the little blue and yellow can with a red top to Germany and France and China and all these places around the world, it was impossible if we didn't open up the learning and come up with a clear vision, a clear set of operating values that set people free. And in those days, we called it, you know, vision and values. Today, we, today we call it, you know, why, how, what. And, um, and, and those were the things that we needed to do. And, you know, today, we're you know, nearly four and a half times the size of revenue than we were then, and, and 70% nearly of our business is outside of the United States. So, you know, we've got more people working for the tribe outside of the United States than we'd have inside the United States now. So we had to let that knowledge flow, and the only way we could do that was to open and to you know, give them freedom and to give them freedom and security. The freedom was a clear vision. The, the, and, and security was values that helped them make good decisions. 
Gary, you're literally taking the questions uh, off my page here as you answer. I, uh, I, I had the quote. It's funny because in 2015 at the World Blue Summit, you mentioned these silos of knowledge to fields of learning, which I, which I thought was such a powerful statement. And it's it's such a powerful statement as you talk about it it's so clear. As you as you shift that mindset from silos to fields of learning, what was, if you can even remember, what was the number one thing that you, that you had to do to sort of shift shift that mindset? Take fear out. Reduce the word failure with two words: learning moment. Hmm. And now. A learn, the definition of a learning moment is a positive and a positive or negative outcome of any situation that is openly and freely shared to benefit all. So, you know, if you walk through the corridors of any WD-40 office around the world, I will guarantee you, you will hear people say, yeah, I just I had a learning moment on that. Let me share you. Or my past learning on that was this. So it was really taking the fear out of failure and saying, you know what, we're not going to get it right all the time. I, you know, I think what the best baseball hitter in the world hits, what, less than 400? Yes. So six out, of, <laughs> six out of ten times they swing, you know, and if you think of people in sports, you know, they they don't win, they don't, they're not at 100 percenters. So, yeah, people, we've got to get it roughly right. And if you have a set of values that help people make decisions, they're going to get it roughly right, and they're going to be acting in a way that is aligned with the vision of the values of the company. So they're not going to really hurt anyone. Um, so, and that's really important. You know, I was fortunate enough, as you mentioned, Marshall Goldsmith earlier. I'm in Marshall Goldsmith's uh, 100 coaches. You know, he picked 25 people to start with, but he's teaching us everything he knows for free as long as we pay it forward. And part of that is we got to spend you know, two days with Alan Mullally, who was uh, you know, CEO of Ford. And, mm-hmm. and one of his big, um, big areas of focus is, you know, apart from having the team and the values, leaders have to admit when they don't know. Because once you admit you don't know, you're going to bring the experts or people around you who do know, and you're going to make a better decision. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy being a consciously incompetent human being bumbling my way down the, 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 the road of life, bumping into stuff left, right, and center. I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, again, I, I, had, I had your quote down that you've already shared, Gary. You had, uh, again, you had mentioned back in 2015, we challenge people to have learning moments. And uh, you and I both know Matt Matheson. Obviously, I've gotten a chance to co-present with Matt Matheson the last few years. He he is the creator of the Church of Fail, um, which, which is all about sort of uh, reinforcing this idea, the safety, uh, learning from failure. I have told Matt that I have stolen the Church of Fail, and I've I've worked it into the sports performance that I do, and 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 allowing kids to feel the 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 safety that comes with learning a new skill and embracing failure as the learning tool. And you, you mentioned the million-dollar sort of idea of we remove the fear. And so as you're creating this culture where people are um, not afraid to, to fail and seeing it as a learning moment, how, do you, how, how does that show up on a day-to-day? How do you help remove that element of fear in the workplace? Number one is, do we have, and you know, we wrote about this in the book with Ken Blanchard that I wrote, Helping People Win at Work, 
the main reason people fail each other is there is not a clear uh, understanding of what we expect from each other. So it starts with setting expectations. What do I expect from you? What do you expect from me? How will we know? You know, no lying, no faking, no hiding. Let's be candid and let's be caring for each other. Let's be respectful. And then having the opportunity to be able to have interaction around that protected by a set of operating values that help people make decisions that are going to be beneficial to them and the company and not hurt themselves. You know, most people get up every day to do the right thing. But sometimes we behave badly and we can't help it, right? We're human beings. So it's about what do we expect from each other and then how are we going to communicate? And how how can I have this conversation with you, Travis, where I'd say, you know, Travis, I mean you no harm. My role here is to help you step into the best version of your personal self you can. I'm not here to mark your paper. I'm here to help you get an A. So do we know what the A looks like? Yes, we do. Where do you think you are against that A? And what roadblocks are getting in your way? What's blowing you off course? Right. And is there a way I can bring something to the table that's going to help you get back on course? Because I care about you. Because that's important to me. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I and I love that uh, sort of that clarity around expectations because I, I feel like that's an area that uh, a lot of times we do we do a uh, probably a poor job of making assumptions around people having an idea of, of sort of what those expectations are and uh, and when they're not met, you know, then we kind of create the stories around those expectations. Um, and you're talking a lot about sort of, again, building that culture, building that tribe. And, you know, I know Google just did uh, uh, some research. Uh, they coined the term, you know, great teams have psychological safety. Uh, they have a, there's a sense of trust, respect, um, authenticity. And, and so within the WD-40 uh, tribe, within that family, what are some things, even if they're small, what are some things that you all do on a day-to-day basis that really sort of uh, reinforces uh, that safety and that, that, that tribe, those tribe values? Well, we call it the circle of safety, funnily enough, and there are um, attributes that, there are actually seven attributes that we're all aware of. The first one is learning and teaching. So we are always learning and always teaching. The number one role of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. If he if he wasn't, he wouldn't be able to pass on the survival needs uh, of the tribe. Um, we have what we call community and belonging. So, you know, we are a community and we we create this atmosphere as belonging, which means we care about you. We're going to have conversations with you. We're going to help you be better at what you do. Um, where we look at specialized skills. So um, what, what not, none of us are good at everything. We're, we're sort of, some of us are good at some things. So what are the specialized skills we, we need to do? We're, we're providers. We know that our job as tribe members is to enhance the WD-40 economy because a thriving economy um, is beneficial to those that are part of the economy. So we take on that responsibility very seriously. You know, Travis, I know when I wake up every morning and I put on my badge of leadership, I take responsibility for other people. Mm. And I have no right 
to get in the way of people doing great things. No right whatsoever. And I love one of the quotes the Dalai Lama has. He says, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. Hmm. And that's been ringing in my brain for years as a leadership. My job is to make people happy but, and, and at least don't hurt them. Now, that doesn't mean we hold kumbaya singing lessons every Friday afternoon, I must tell you. <laughs> you know, we have to deliver results. And leadership is a very interesting balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. And the genius of that is in the middle, that balance between when you've got to be tough-minded and when you've got to be tender-hearted. And we talk about that at the tribe as well. You know, there's research out there that says people who live in organizations that are too tender-hearted feel vulnerable and at risk. People who live in organizations that are too tough-minded feel vulnerable and at risk. Mm. So you've got to get that balance right. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, and then that... love them up is what, what, what Alan Mulally would say. We call it, you know, celebration and, and, and just enjoying ourselves. Uh, we love having a good time. You know, life, life's a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. <laughs> if I were to walk through the doors, uh, actually, I'm going to be out in San Diego in a few weeks, Gary, but if I were to walk through the doors of the WD-40 headquarters, what's the first thing I'm going to, what, what, what am I going to notice, first of all, about being there? Um, you're going to notice that there's pictures up of people's families around the place. You're going to be greeted as if you're welcome. Um, the person on our front desk is the director of first impressions. Um, so, <laughs> I love that. Uh, we want to make a good impression. And in fact, if you come later than that, we're moving. We're building a new teepee. We've been in the building we're in for 44 years, and we're moving to a brand new facility in July. It's a called our new teepee because we're a tribe. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and we're bringing a lot of our culture and our uh, into that building, so it's going to. But this is a warm sort of place. Um, it's very modest, um, but I think you'd feel warmth, and I think you'd feel like you know, even though you're a visitor, uh, you're welcome here. Now, Gary, I'm looking at the time and being sensitive to your valuable time. And so the last question I want to ask you is, you've been doing this for a while now. So what is it every day as you wake up and, and you head on in, what is it that continues to motivate you on a day-to-day -day basis? Travis, I have the best job in the world. I get up every day to motivate people to create positive, lasting memories. The most exciting part of that is discovering all the different ways to do it. Yeah. And now, Gary, is there any any place that uh, that people can go uh, as far as to follow you or to be in contact with you or anywhere that you want them to go to to get more information? Yeah, my Twitter is at Learning Moment, and then I have a website www.thelearningmoment.net. Um, so you can find me in a couple of those places. Um Fantastic. Well, I will include all of those uh, in the uh, in the podcast uh, links as well, Gary. Well, Gary, uh, I know I caught you right in the middle of a workday. Uh, so, uh, so grateful for you to take the time. And, and thanks so much for being on the weekly Yes And podcast. Uh, yes And, and I'm so pleased I am. Thanks, Gary. Have a great day. Cheers. I won't be stuck in my way, spending my days doing every little thing the way I always done it, done it before. Oh, oh. Cause when that voice appears, I get the ears to hear, I get the